I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you might prove what is the good, the well-pleasing, and the complete will of God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall garrison your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We have a few seconds for spiritual preparation. This is your opportunity for confession of sins or simply adjusting uh, from the day to uh, our focus on what is going to be communicated tonight by our uh, speaker, Jim Myers. So let's take a few seconds, bowing your heads and closing your eyes, and then I'll open this in prayer. Dearly Father, we are thankful that we have opportunities to not only worship you in coming here, but also we have the opportunity to support those who are taking the Word of God to distant lands. We're thankful for Jim and Phyllis and their ministry in Ukraine and in other nations beyond that. We pray, Father, for their continued success, support. We know that in all of what they do, there are always uh, satanic attacks, uh, some nagging, uh, just smaller, uh, and other ones that are uh, more difficult, more challenging. And so, Father, we pray for their uh, resiliency and their uh, steadfastness and their persistence in what they're doing. Tonight we also pray for Niles Johnson as he is teaching uh, a Bible class down in Dale City Baptist Church. Pray, Father, for his uh, calm and his uh, clear presentation of the message that he's prepared. Also pray for Theron as he will be interviewing this week for a substitute teaching position in the uh, District of Columbia. Pray, Father, that he'll be able to present himself in the way that you would have him to do so, that uh, the interview will go well, and that uh, Theron will be able to find himself in front of uh, classes and children where he might have uh, an impact for you, Father. And so we pray again for your blessing tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, tonight, uh, I've asked Jim if he would come and speak to us about his ministry. I've known Jim and Phyllis for several years. I was trying to think today when I may have first met you all, uh, and I frankly uh, couldn't remember. So it's it's not at least a huge blemish on my memory, but uh, uh, I've known them for quite a while. I had the opportunity to go to the Ukraine. Uh, Kiev, Kiev, I think it's just pronounced there, and spend, I think, in the vicinity of 10 days at a teen, no, children's camp. At a children's camp. It was uh, one of the more interesting and, uh, I, I think, fulfilling experiences of my life because uh, I went over as the uh, leader of the team and thought um, that I would be helping me teachers of the various groups. Well, come to find out, we didn't have enough teachers, so I was 
uh, asked to teach as well, which was fine. So I thought I'd probably be teaching the older group. Some of them were uh, near their teens. And I was looking forward to that and found out that, no, we had all those positions filled. The ones we didn't have filled was the, the ones that were still crawling around on the ground. Well, they weren't crawling around on the ground. But they were the youngest group. And so there I was on hands and knees in front of the group out in our uh, in the areas where, wherever we were teaching the class. And uh, I was uh, giving the Bible stories and had a translator and that's where I learned how to use a translator. And I can, also, I can also testify that the Word of God is alive and powerful in many ways because sometimes as you're teaching, the translator is just paying attention to you and not translating. So it's not, <laughs> that you can say what I just said. Oh, okay. So it was, uh, it was a wonderful experience. But you're not here tonight to hear from me. Jim, would you please come and uh, make the choice? I've had bizarre introductions in in this one. Uh, Always good to be back here. Uh, We uh, certainly come to appreciate this group and uh, your enthusiasm for the Word of God, but also the uh, enthusiasm that you've expressed toward what we are doing on the mission field. So we feel uh, very much at home when we come here and uh, we want to thank you for uh, your faithfulness in uh, in supporting us, your encouragement, and it's the faithfulness that really is an encouragement to us. Sometimes uh, you know, you're living in a, a foreign country and uh, you begin to think that uh, maybe you're all alone. Of course, uh, I know many of you have uh, served overseas and you've been separated from family and loved ones so you understand the feeling um, we've been uh, in the former Soviet Union for 18 years now we'll start our 19th year when we return next month and uh, it's always been interesting but the Lord has always sustained us and uh, we want you to know that the Father has been pleased to answer your prayers. Thank you for praying for us. We count on this. And uh, he has certainly uh, sustained us these years, provided for us. And people uh, often ask, well, are you going to retire? I don't know what I would do if I retired. Go find a Bible class to teach somewhere, I guess. But uh, uh, We don't have any intentions of doing anything other than what we're doing now. We have no desire to do anything differently. I hope that the Lord will give us another 15 or 20 years, and and then we'll consider then what to do. But uh, we never know. The situation is uh, changing. Last year, the Ukrainians elected a president who was very pro-Russia. The former president was very pro-West. The new president is not pro-West, but rather he's very cozy with uh, Vladimir Putin. You may have heard of him. One scary dude. uh, uh, And uh, he's also cozy with uh, the current president, a man by the name of Medvedev. This current president that we have... Uh, for whatever reason, is making overtures to Russia. 
and he's making decisions I think are not in the best interest of Ukrainians. For example, they just signed a 40-year deal with Russia to uh, give them control of the great navy base uh, Sevastopol or Sebastopol I guess as you might have heard it here uh, it's a warm water port on the Black Sea and the uh, Russians very much want this and this man said oh yeah you can have it for the next 40 years uh, also they have just uh, recently <clears throat> in the last couple of months passed a law which now makes it possible for foreigners to buy agricultural land in Ukraine. This has not been permitted before. Foreigners couldn't come in and buy farmland, but now they have done that. <laughs> and I would expect to see some Russians come in and begin to purchase thousands of acres of Ukrainian farmland. Uh, this wouldn't surprise me. It would seem that Mother Russia would like to gather the chicks back under her wings and um, this is uh, perhaps the beginning of that. And how does that affect us? We don't know yet. But I'll tell you what happened in Russia, that they have virtually been able to squeeze out Western missionaries, American missionaries who went to Russia and established ministries there. Many of them have had to leave Russia. And the way that they did it was very easy. They simply denied them visas. You can get a visa for 30 days. You can go into Russia for 30 days. Then you have to leave for some period of time, maybe 30 days, maybe 90 days. Uh, and then they'll let you come back again. But it's very difficult to sustain a ministry if you have to leave the country every 30 days and remain out of the country for one month or longer. Um, and so many of the mission agencies that uh, had offices in Moscow have had to leave. Many of them have come to Ukraine to establish an office there, and then they can go into Russia for their 30 days. Then they have a home base. They can come back to Ukraine, uh, and that's what many of them are doing now. But they are now beginning to play with uh, visas in Ukraine, and they've passed new laws, and uh, we're not sure how they're going to interpret these laws. It's rather uneven at this point, uh, but uh, it's possible they will begin to move in the same direction that Russia did. We hope not. Uh, but they, they are playing games with the visas. It was interesting for uh, Phyllis and me when we went to the airport on the 1st of June, and it's 5.30 in the morning, something like that, and uh, we're going through passport control. We got up to the window, and they pulled us out of line and informed us that we were in the country illegally. Now, we're not. We have visas. They're valid visas. Uh, well, they said, oh, no, you, you stayed in the country more than 90 days in a six-month period. Well, the new law that they passed says that you can only stay in the country 90 days within half a year, and then you have to leave the country for 90 days. But we have a visa, and we don't have to leave the country every 90 days. But they said, oh, no, you're, you're here illegally. And so they wanted us to go over to another building and pay a fine. But, of course, if we do that, we're going to miss our airplane. And they know this as well. And uh, so I asked if there wasn't some other way we could solve this problem. And they uh, said, yes, you can 
you can pay us. Uh, which we did, uh, but somehow he forgot to give me a receipt uh, for this. Um, so when I got to the States, I called a Ukrainian lawyer uh, who works with the embassy in Chicago, the Ukrainian embassy. And he uh, said, well, the people at the airport, they are either corrupt or they are incompetent. Well, they work at the airport there. They see thousands of people go through there every day. I don't think they are incompetent. I think they know what the law is. But uh, anyway, it's interesting. And uh, we're in the Lord's hands. And uh, he's, going to, uh, he's going to take care of these things. Um, but uh, you might just watch the way things are going in the former Soviet Union. Uh, it, it's an interesting time to, to be there and to see uh, the direction that things are taking. Um, oh, I want to tell you a couple. Did you have anybody from here go to Camp Arete? Yes. Okay. Uh, I just talked to a man tonight. He called just before we came to class. Uh, he is a parent of a child who went to Camp Arete. And uh, his child called from camp and is very excited about it. He's a teenager. And uh, his teenage son is very excited about the fact that he has met other kids who have a doctrinal background because he's in a very small tape group. And uh, everybody around him in his world thinks he's really weird because they listen to uh, a tape recorder, and uh, now he's together with uh, 50 other kids who uh, have a doctrinal background. He's really excited about it. Uh, but also this parent called to tell me something else that's very exciting. <clears throat> this man's son went to West Point last year, and uh, uh, I uh, uh, said you need to give David Roseland a call. David is a West Point graduate. Now he's pastor at Preston City Bible Church. I said you need to give David a call because he will help this young man get oriented to West Point and what it's going to take to go through there and can also uh, help him on the spiritual side. And so the, uh, the parents called David Roseland and immediately David uh, got in touch with this a uh, young man who was just entering the point, and uh, this young man has started listening to David on a live stream broadcast, which he can do in his room. And uh, as it turns out, he uh, met an upperclassman, uh, a young lady, who uh, had been influenced by Rick Hughes' ministry. And... Uh, Anyway, it, it turned out that the mother of this young man uh, has contact with other mothers of West Pointers. I don't know what they have on the Internet now, but they were saying that some of the cadets there complained that they really don't have enough time for spiritual life. They would like to have a little more time for Bible study and, and some other things. And so this mother just uh, put this out on the Internet and um, ask if there were any other mothers who uh, had similar concerns and she got uh, a reply from 15 other mothers who said yes we'd like to do something about this well apparently they are working now on getting a room at 
at the point where they can meet for a regular Bible study. And uh, this young man uh, that's been in contact with David Rosalind apparently is going to lead this group. So I, I just think it's exciting uh, to think that uh, there might be even more impact at the point uh, with uh, doctrinally oriented believers. Uh, so I was really excited to, to get that phone call tonight. Um, what, uh, what is happening with our ministry is that uh, we're continuing in Ukraine as we have for uh, quite a number of years now. We have uh, a Bible college, which is the primary focus of what we do. It's a small school. We've had 10 to 12 students each year. Uh, but it's a two-year intensive program. We teach Greek and Hebrew, systematic theology. We survey all of the books of the Bible, and then we have exegetical studies of certain other books, and we teach hermeneutics and uh, a num- number of other uh, subjects for these students. And they start at 8.30 in the morning, and they go until 3 o'clock uh, every afternoon, four days a week. And... Uh, they they have to work pretty hard, and uh, uh, but pray that we are going to get a new crop of students. It's harder to get students, uh, and especially since we qualify our students, uh, there are people who come and they say, "I'd like to study your Bible college because I want to know more about the Bible." And we don't accept students because they want to know more about the Bible. I say, you you can come to church and you have opportunity five times a week to get Bible teaching uh, with Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then three Bible studies during the week. You have opportunity to learn the Bible. What we are looking for are men who want to train for ministry. We want to prepare pastors, teachers, evangelists, and missionaries. People that are serious about getting into some kind of a ministry. That's what we're looking for. And so it's uh, getting harder to find people who uh, want to train for this kind of ministry and go through the uh, rather intensive training that we have. But I ask that you pray for new students who are really going to be serious about getting the kind of education we want to offer. Now, we have... uh, been so excited about our graduates over the past several years who have gone out and they have started their own ministries. They've planted churches. They've gone to uh, work with various kinds of organizations doing youth ministry, children's ministry. Uh, We have one couple uh, who has now gone to Turkey as missionaries. This is just exciting. They wanted to go to Iran uh, because the Uh, The man's wife has some family in Iran, and they wanted to go and have a ministry there, but they couldn't get visas to to live there. They can go visit, but they can't live there. And so instead, they went to Turkey, which is right next to Iran. But they uh, went and they started doing evangelism in Turkey, and there were people that came to faith in Christ, and they started a small Bible study in their apartment, which they have now formed into a small church that meets in their apartment in the city of Antalya. And uh, this last year, one of their converts came to study at our Bible school. So uh, we're, we're really thrilled to have a missionary couple in a Muslim country. 
Also, uh, we have a, a young man who is Iranian. Uh, he was born in Tehran. And he came to Ukraine with uh, many other Iranians back about 20 years ago. And they were granted asylum. Uh, they came as refugees. And uh, Ali is this man's name. He came to faith in Christ when he got to Ukraine. He heard the gospel. And I think that the Lord brought many of these people out of Iran so they could hear the gospel in an environment where they were free to accept it and then where they could study and learn and grow. And Ali uh, wanted to find out about uh, Christianity. He wanted to study the Bible. He became a student. And he started a church that is primarily ministering to Persians. He started a Persian church. They have their services in Farsi, which is the language of Iran. And as a result of what Ali has done, dozens and dozens of Muslims have come to faith in Christ. And uh, for the first year when he started that church, he wanted me to come and teach a Bible class, which I was very glad to do. And uh, we had a small group of men. And every year, or every week for a year, I went and taught these men basic Bible doctrine. Well, then the Ukrainian government said, we can't keep all of these refugees in this country. And they made arrangements with France and Spain and Canada to take many of the Iranian refugees who had come to Ukraine. And so the government sent these men that I'd been teaching to France and Spain and Canada, where now they are doing missionary work among Muslims in these other places at government expense. Thank you. Uh, we have many teaching opportunities uh, in uh, Ukraine uh, and uh, I travel around to many cities in Ukraine where we'll teach uh, seminary courses in different cities there's a man by the name of Ron Minton do you know Ron? used to be at uh, the seminary here uh, and he his, he's ministering in Ukraine right now and he has set up a, a seminary course, and he'll go into a city and try to gather all of the local pastors together and offer, to them, offer them seminary training. Uh, and so he'll go into a city two or three times a year, and we'll teach two weeks at a time. And uh, their courses will be from 6 o'clock until 10 o'clock at night, five days a week for two weeks. And... Uh, uh, so I go and uh, teach with Ron uh, in various cities uh, around Ukraine. So there's opportunity to do that. Uh, also, there's uh, uh, our graduates have gone out to other churches. There's a, a, a small city about an hour outside of Ukraine where I went to teach, oh, I don't know, back around 97, 98. And... Uh, then they, um, they got irritated with my doctrine. Uh, they didn't like a gospel of grace. They didn't like teaching on eternal security. And so the, uh, well, there was a denomination in that country that uh, they, they decided that they needed to get rid of me. Anyway, I uh, wasn't 
welcome to go back to that church and the denomination said they would like to throw me out of the country but they weren't successful at that we're still there Uh, but uh, what is very interesting is that one of our graduates had been a member of that church and he went back and he wanted to preach in that church and they wouldn't allow him because he was associated with me but uh, the Lord has now turned that around so that just in the last few months this man is going to start teaching in that church and uh, will probably be called as the pastor of that church. That's our prayer at any rate. So um, uh, the the Lord has a way of overruling people um, because there are people that are positive and there are people that want to know the Word of God. And so I'm just delighted that uh, we are training uh, a few good men to uh, go out and to uh, be able to teach in these places where people really want to know the Word of God. Um, Also, I've been going to Zambia for many years now. Zambia is a country in uh, the southern part of Africa. Uh, I love to go there. And we've been teaching Bible conferences in two cities. One in the capital city of Lusaka, and another in the city of Livingston, named after the great British missionary David Livingston. And uh, these conferences, uh, we've uh, in the past had as many as five or six hundred pastors and ministry leaders would come to these conferences that are uh, usually five to six hours a day for a week. I'll do a conference in one city and then I'll go uh, and do the same conference in another city. And there are some men there that are really getting strong on learning and teaching the Word of God. What we've seen in Zambia is that millions and millions of these people are believers in Jesus. They love Jesus. They genuinely do. And they would love to know the Word of God, but there really hasn't been people go there and plant some roots and teach these people Uh, diligently, systematically, categorically. But the people are really hungry for the Word of God, and they're very open. Zambia is not like any of the nations around it. The nations around Zambia are infiltrated by the Muslims who are taking over the government and, uh, in, in many cases, pushing out the Christians or killing the Christians. But Zambia... uh, In the Constitution, it declares that they are a Christian nation, which says they are going to be um, governed on the basis of biblical principles. And because they are an avowed Christian nation, they have not allowed Islam access to public media. They can't, uh, the Muslims can't get on the television, on the radio, and they can't do a lot of the things that they've done in other countries to promote their religion. Now, there are Muslims there, and they are trying, but uh, Christianity is very strong in in Zambia. Uh, Pray for Zambia that uh, Christianity might grow, but also that these people will get the Word of God. There are millions of people, they're saved, They've been evangelized, but they haven't been taught. But as they hear the Word of God, they are excited about it. And so we have some men now that uh, have really caught on 
and uh, we've been providing them with study materials, uh, written materials, as well as audio materials from various pastors uh, around America. And so we're seeing some progress there. Also, the Lord has allowed us to go to Brazil once a year to do conferences there. Uh, I think in just a couple of weeks, uh, Valerie Brown will be here, Valerie and John. Uh, it's through Valerie's parents that I first went to Brazil. Her parents, Tim and Ingrid Lipsy, were both missionary kids. They uh, both grew up in Brazil. And uh, uh, through Valerie's father, uh, I received invitation to go to Brazil and to teach in many churches there. And, uh, of course, Valerie's parents were killed in a bus crash a few years ago. Uh, but uh, we're able to continue to go, and uh, usually I'll go for two weeks. This last year, they said next week we or next year we want you to come for three weeks. They want more teaching. They want another conference to to be set up, and so uh, we're, we're uh, pleased to to be able to do that. Also in uh, in Kiev, we have a church. It's called Word of God Church. That's where we put our emphasis, just as the college is called Word of God College. Uh, The church uh, functions quite well without me. They don't need me, and I'm just delighted about this. Now, I love to preach, so I kind of keep my finger in that way. But uh, we really believe that the function of a missionary is to train nationals so that they don't need outsiders any longer. And so we try to do this, get people trained so they don't need Americans, so that they don't need American teachers, so they don't need American money. And that's pretty hard over there in that economy. But uh, nevertheless, that is our goal. And so in the church... There are men who are trained, they do the Bible teaching, they take care of the administration, they take care of the needs of the people, uh, and so uh, they carry on very well without us. But we continue to work with the leaders of the church there. I meet with church leadership on a weekly basis, uh, trying to uh, continue to mentor them. The... uh, Bible college is not yet to the place where they can function without us uh, because they need teachers and we don't have yet enough Ukrainians who can teach on that level but I'm excited to report that last year we had four courses that were taught by Ukrainians and I'm really pleased with this and we want to continue to work with these men to develop them so that they continue to grow and Uh, It would be our uh, goal to see the college become independent where they don't have to have Americans coming in all the time because, honestly, the door might close for people from the West. The door might close so that we can't go back. And we want that ministry to carry on even if we can't go back. We've seen a lot of... Ministries. There were good ministries. People came in, they started something, they had a good ministry, but when the missionary left, the ministry folded because they simply hadn't trained the people how to do it for themselves. So we believe in the indigenous principle, that is, you train the nationals to 
do the work for themselves. Oh, I did have a... Uh, I was going to show you a map. Uh, many people are not really clear uh, where things are located in uh, Europe. Um, so maybe this will give you a, a clear idea of where we are. Of course, here's Russia, uh, Moscow here. Now, Ukraine is the largest country in Europe. That is entirely within Europe. Of course, Russia uh, is larger, but it's in Europe and Asia. But Ukraine is about the size of Texas, uh, largest country entirely in Europe. We are just to the east of Poland. Uh, here is the country of Belarus. That's where we went when we first went uh, over there. Here are the Baltic countries, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. This is Belarus. And here we are. Here's the city of Kiev, the capital. Right up here, about 75 miles north of Kiev, a tiny town called Chernobyl. Uh, we're, we're only 75 miles from there uh, and uh, we're still suffering the effect not personally uh, but uh, Ukraine is still suffering many of the effects from Kiev many of the people that still suffer from sickness related to radiation the ground continues to be uh, polluted with radiation and uh, of course it rains and the water runs into the rivers and into the lakes, so we don't eat any fish from Ukraine. We like to eat fish, but uh, we get it from, from the sea. So what we eat is frozen. Uh, down here is the Black Sea, right south of Ukraine at the other side of the Black Sea, of course, is Turkey. Uh, and down here... Uh, is where that big naval base is, Sevastopol. It's in the Black Sea. Uh, also, for quite a number of years, I went to this tiny country here. It's called Moldova. Tiny sliver of a country. They, ha uh, they have democracy there, and the people have elected a communist government. Go figure. Uh, freely elected communist government. I don't understand, but uh, uh, that's what they have. But there is a... Uh, a dispensational seminary in the capital city of uh, Kishinev there. So anyway, I just thought I'd put this up and give you an idea of where we are located. Uh, just to the west, uh, we share a border with Slovakia. Used to be Czechoslovakia under the Soviet Union, but now you have the Czech Republic and you have Slovakia, two uh, separate countries. So uh, that's where we are. Okay, have any questions about what we're doing? Yes? Yes, sir. Um, I understood Eastern Europe 20 years ago really saw the insurgence of um, Christianity, but a lot of them kind of went the way of Pentecostal. Is there a lot of, do um, you see a lot of that in Ukraine as well? Yes. Uh, Okay, uh, what happened 20 years ago, and it was 20 years ago this year, actually, it'll be 20 years on Christmas. It was a great Christmas present in 1991. They pulled the flag down from the Kremlin, uh, the hammer and sickle. Uh, and this opened up doors for people from the West to come into the Soviet Union. 
and many came in, but uh, uh, of course you have Baptists, but you have the Pentecostals, you have Jehovah Witnesses and uh, Mormons and and so on. But the, it would seem that the the people that are most aggressive in our day would be charismatic Pentecostal types. Uh, under communism, there were only two denominations that survived in the Soviet Union, uh, and they were the Baptists and the Pentecostals. All of the rest of the denominations left. So the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, and so on, they all left uh, or just uh, disappeared. But the Baptists and the Pentecostals stood up to the communists and said, well, you can kill us, you can put us in prison, but we're still going to worship. Now, their doctrine is very fuzzy at best. They don't have a grace gospel. Uh, Their theology is not well developed. But uh, what happened when the doors opened for people from the West? You have a lot of Pentecostals that came in and they said, we're going to support our Pentecostal brothers. And Baptists came in and they said, we're going to support the Baptists. American Baptists don't understand that the only thing in common they have with Ukrainian Baptists is the word Baptist. (laughs) Honestly, their theology uh, is so far afield, but... Uh, most Americans haven't figured that out yet. But uh, what you see is uh, in all of these countries, uh, in Ukraine and Belarus, uh, there, there are a lot of uh, charismatic groups who came in. For example, Calvary Chapels. Uh, when we first went to Ukraine, there were five different Calvary Chapels in the city of Kiev. Four of them have uh, gone away now, but uh, there's still one there. But uh, the idea is that these people, they wanted to do something. And they came in and they did something. Uh, As far as doctrinal teaching, not too many. But then we don't have too many missionaries coming out of our churches, unfortunately. I think we need to challenge our young people about going to the mission field and uh, getting involved in uh, sending the gospel to other places. I think we really need to do that. And I think it's very patriotic for us to support missions, by the way. And I know you're all patriotic. I think one of the most patriotic things you can do is to support missionaries because why are we here? We know we deserve judgment from God and we often ask ourselves, why has God allowed us to survive as a nation. I think there are a couple of answers uh, that can be given from my perspective. I think one reason is that America continues to print and to freely distribute Bibles in thousands of languages that we send around the world. And if America were to go under, then that supply of Bibles would be cut off. Also, America continues to send out missionaries. And we, even though we are declining in uh, missionary activity, nevertheless, we are still the greatest missionary-sending nation in the world today. And I believe that God is keeping us free so that we can continue to 
send out the word of God, to send out a gospel of grace uh, all around the world. So anyway, yes, we see many charismatics. You have to admire their zeal. I do. I see these people. They, they have a genuine desire to see people saved, and they go out and they do something about it. Um, okay. Does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Okay. Anyone else? In Ukraine, other than finding students or mm-hmm. having students, what uh, would you say maybe is your uh, largest challenge, your most difficult challenge, whether it's something that's indigenous to uh, Ukraine or the distance you are from the United States, or what, what might be one of your largest challenges? Our largest challenges in Ukraine. Um, <clears throat> oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> how, how, probably not material to teach. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, under the Soviet rule, they tried to destroy all spiritual materials. They tried to burn Bibles. Uh, they tried to destroy any theology book, any biblical commentaries. Uh, in fact, they they even went through their dictionaries and removed spiritual terms just took it out of the dictionary so people wouldn't find it and uh, and begin to think about a particular word so uh, like a word like redemption or propitiation or sanctification I mean, they, they just took them out and they took out articles from their encyclopedias they completely rewrote them and they, they took out all references to anything religious um, the result is that even Today, 20 years after the downfall of communism, we don't have many good theological materials uh, available in the Russian or the Ukrainian language. They're just not there. Now, some are being translated. Um, A few theology books have been translated. For example, Ryrie's Basic Theology. and uh, now Millard Erickson's big theology has been translated. Uh, but there's not very much good study material in, in the Russian language. And so uh, that, that's a big challenge for us because we have students and we want to provide them with study materials. And so each professor who comes should provide a syllabus that's got material in it. And we are trying to get... Uh, doctrinal things translated but it's hard to give students uh, sometimes significant assignments because we can't send them to the library to look up a lot of things in theology books or commentaries and so on so that's one of the big challenges that we have yeah. uh, uh, more on the people that uh, are coming to your classes in seminary uh, number one how, how is the cost of living in those people. And uh, and, uh, number two, what type of people come? Poor people, middle class people, upper class, just a a cross section of uh, all types? Okay. Uh, In Ukraine, the the economy has been very interesting. Uh, It's shaky like, I guess, about every other economy in in Europe. Uh, 
they uh, the country borrowed some 17 billion from the IMF here year before last, which is not a good sign. Uh, but the government's trying to keep the the money fairly stable, and so that's been fairly stable for us. There has been an emerging middle class in Ukraine, uh, made up primarily of young people who uh, graduate from the university and they get a job with a Western c- company. Now, they're not making anything close to what people in this country would make, but uh, it might be five to ten times what their parents make. And so uh, one young man graduated from the university, and uh, his first job, uh, he makes about six times what his parents make combined. See? So uh, not that his parents... <laughs> Not that he's making all that much, but uh, relatively speaking, it's a lot. And so we see an emerging middle class. But, on the other hand, we also see the government coming in and trying to take the people back to socialism. So that in many cases where they've had a small business that has been started and has been doing well, the government now comes and taxes them to death, so they have to go out of business, and then the government will come in and open the same store uh, owned by the government. That's not good. Uh, our students uh, primarily are just typical Ukrainians. Uh, it, it's hard to say, you know, like we have lower class, middle class, upper class. Uh, well, they've got the very rich, the entrepreneurs uh, who become extremely wealthy, a growing middle class, but our students are just from the hoi polloi, just from the, uh, where the average Ukrainian is, I guess. And uh, over there, you, you can't find part-time jobs. Here, maybe you can go out and get a job where you work four hours a day or work on the weekends or uh, work four hours a night or something, but... Over there, they don't have part-time jobs. They're just not available. Uh, people work, and if they have a job, they're going to work eight hours a day, or they're going to work 12 hours a day. If they have to work more, they're going to work more, but they just don't. companies don't go out and hire part-time workers. So uh, our students are not able to come and get a job and support themselves as they go through the Bible college. And if we want them to be full-time students, and we do, uh, we make it possible for them. And so through our ministry, we provide for them a place to live. We rent apartments uh, for them to live in, and we provide for them a small stipend, uh, depending on need. For example, if it's just a single guy, uh, we can put him in an apartment with two or three other single guys. But some of the students have been married and will have one or two children. They require more, so we'll give them a, uh, a larger stipend. Uh, it's not enough for them to live on. Uh, they can survive on it, but they can't really live on it. Uh, but uh, it does enable them to be full-time students. Uh, we also provide for them all books, study materials, and so on. So it's being provided to them on a grace basis. Uh, so, uh, yeah. yes. How do they hear about our college? 
some of it's word of mouth, which is, of course, the best advertising. The other is that uh, we have a website for the college, and there are students that are finding us uh, by getting on the Internet and looking for Bible colleges in Ukraine or whatever it is they're searching for. Uh, and so we're, we're getting some from that. Also, uh, we have some people who will go out and go to churches and tell the churches, here's a Bible college, it's available, here's what we have to offer. Uh, but it's getting harder for us to recruit students, even offering them, uh, you know, essentially room and board and free books. It's still not that easy to get, to get students, uh, particularly the ones that we want. Okay, Randy. When did the current president take office and how long is his term? And how, what's the political climate there? How is the population responding, if at all, to the initiatives that he's taking on with Russia and other things that are going on? Okay, asking about the current president and the political situation. His name is Viktor Yanukovych. Um, he was elected a year ago, March. His term is for five years. And then he'll be eligible for uh, re-election uh, at the end of those five years. Uh, the country of Ukraine, here you see this, this is a river, and it goes over here, and then it, it, it flows into the Black Sea down here. And uh, it's the Dnieper River, one of the great rivers in Europe. It actually starts uh, way up here in, uh, in Russia. And in Ukraine, it, it sort of divides the country east and west. Let me see if I have another map here that we'll have. Yeah. Okay. See this river? Okay. And so the country is divided east and west, not just by the river, but also to a great extent politically. So that those in the east, you see the neighboring country is Russia. They tend to be pro-Russia in the eastern side. And the people here, they want to speak Russian. They don't want to speak Ukrainian. Uh, Now, in the west... They are more influenced by the countries over here, Poland, uh, Romania, Slovakia. And the the western half of Ukraine tends to be more pro-Western. They want to speak Ukrainian and not Russian. They say, we're Ukrainian. We're not Russian. They don't like the Russians. Uh, And so the last election uh, where they elected this uh, Yanukovych, he's from the east. And uh, so he has a, um, he didn't actually get a majority of the votes, but he got enough to win. Uh, But it's primarily from people from this side of the country. And uh, so the development of the politics right now seems to be that the eastern side is gaining dominance. Uh, Also... The major religion in Ukraine is Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, You may have heard it called Greek Orthodox, but 
uh, it goes back to um, the 11th century. There was a big division between uh, Constantinople in the east and Rome in the west. Up to this time, you just had the Roman Catholic Church, but it had two heads. And uh, finally, they had a great split. And uh, in the East, you had the development of Orthodoxy, which is somewhat similar to Catholicism, but there are also significant differences. Uh, One of the great differences is that the Roman Church has a Pope, and he has authority over uh, all Catholic churches. Eastern Orthodox churches, on the other hand, they don't have a Pope, uh, but each country has its own head that they call a patriarch. Sometimes they call him a metropolitan. But the patriarch, so you have a Turkish Orthodox Church, you have a Greek Orthodox Church, you have a Ukrainian Orthodox Church, you have a Russian Orthodox Church, each one with its own head. Well, when the Soviets took power, the Communists took power, the Patriarch of Moscow has the title of Patriarch of Moscow and all Russia. And he arrogated to himself authority over the entire Soviet Union. He said, I'm, I'm the big cheese. And uh, he essentially put out the head of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church and the Belarusian Orthodox Church and all of the other ones. But when the Soviet Union broke up, Ukrainians said, well, hey, wait a minute, we're not Russian. And we don't need to be under a Russian patriarch. And so they elected their own patriarch. So now what we have in Ukraine, we have the Russian Orthodox Church, and many people remained loyal to the Russian Orthodox Church. Others said, no, we're Ukrainians, and now they have a loyalty to the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And then you have some rebels over here in the West that are independent. But... uh, This has been good for us that the Ukrainians and the Russians are kind of fighting over who's going to run the country religiously because the politicians have not wanted to come down on one side or the other. They haven't wanted to say, oh yeah, we're going to support the Ukrainian Orthodox Church for fear that they're going to alienate half the country. So they don't want to do that. So the and the Orthodox Church is very powerful, very wealthy, very powerful. They exert a lot of political influence, and they want no rivals. They put a lot of pressure on any anyone who's not in the Orthodox Church. So we might find ourselves standing side by side with the Catholics, just because the Orthodox wants to push out everybody. It's not Orthodox. Um, but of course we want to have religious freedom so uh, anyway the the current president uh, is siding more with the Russian Orthodox Church instead of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church I don't know where this is going to lead but anyway it's uh, uh, it's an interesting political situation uh, but it would seem that because of the control that's being exerted by um, the current president and the parliament. They have a unicameral 
legislature there, which means they don't have a House and a Senate. They just have one parliament, one body. And uh, it gets to be a real mess to try to run a government that way. You think ours is bad, but theirs is uh, unbelievably bad because I don't know how many different parties they've got represented in parliament, 15, 20, 30 different parties. And if you want to do anything, you have to get a coalition. And sometimes it's pretty hard to get a coalition because you've got all these different parties who all want different things, and sometimes it's hard to get anything done, which is not necessarily a bad thing in government. But uh, the the current situation, though, is uh, the president is strong, and he's uh, pushing to get things done his way. Uh, so anyway, I don't know where it'll go. It's in God's hands. All right, anyone else with a question? Again, thank you so much for encouraging us, for being faithful, for praying for us. We depend on that. And uh, it's like you people are holding the rope on this end, and we need to know that somebody's holding the other end of the rope. Uh, So I just want to thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. for those who would like to support the ministry, I think, uh, and you'd like to make out a check, it's James F. Myers Ministries. Yes. So. <laughs> E-R-S, thank you. Misspelled your name all these years. I know. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
and that they, are, uh, they would have the kind of support that they need to accomplish the mission that you have designed for them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.